fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, darn right it is. What's up? Welcome into the program. It's a Monday, a brand new week. I am fully recovered after my insanity of a concert that happened last week. I have rested. I have enjoyed the outdoors. Got some home projects done. We're ready to rock and roll for another week. So welcome into it. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. But we are all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However you watch or listen to the program, your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. And we're starting off this week, man, with a bang. Bottom of the hour, we have Scott Powell. We've had him on the program before, author. We'll talk about, is government betraying the Constitution? (gasps) Gasp. I know. So we'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. What's going on? How can we fix it? And what is the government really doing? I think really anything outside of the judiciary, the executive, and the legislative branches. The whole fourth branch of agencies and departments, technically, are a bit unconstitutional. But is that the problem? And how do we solve that? So welcome into it. We have a lot to get to. Also, right out of the gate, man, uh, as you heard in the intro just a little bit, we have uh, the conservatives fighting in Washington, D.C. It's hard. I get it. It's tough. However, the Conservative Political Action Conference came out. We talked about this on Friday, wrapping up the program. They came out with their ratings on conservative leaders in D.C. And we have out of the Republican caucus as a whole in the Senate and on the House side, about 50% of the caucus in total, that's either an 80% or higher, according to the Conservative Political Action Conference ratings, on their conservative votes, which is good news. We're at 50%, obviously can do better in our Republican caucus, but at least that's some good news. One of those guys, however, and we gave him praise on Friday as well, great personal friend, great friend of the show, my representative here in the 4th District of Kansas, as he is right here in studio with us here for the first half hour of the program, Congressman Ron Estes. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Andy? It is great to see you. First off, congratulations, because not only were you in the top 80%, you were at 97%. So you're up there with like those fringe radicals of like Ted Cruz and those guys. Yeah. So I, congratulations. Well, and I don't think it, I don't think it's fringe radicals. I mean, you think about what's important for the country. Think about what's important for people in Kansas. Common and, sense. Yeah, it's common sense. Common and, sense. And the legislation that uh, comes before us and how we should vote and what we should support and what we should oppose yeah. uh, just makes just makes sense in so many levels. Well, it does. With the issues, especially that we're seeing today, just a common sense vote is predominantly a conservative vote. I mean, you you understand the difference between a men and women and boys and girls. And I know that apparently is a radical position to take today. It really is. And that's sad. <laughs> you know, you think, you know, in the 1970s, we passed the Title IX Act. I mean, federal government passed that in order to, to help encourage women and girls to participate in sports. Yeah. And now they're throwing that all out the window by uh, letting boys compete against girls and, and, and actually denigrating uh, the accomplishments that they've achieved. Yeah. Well, and a shout out to our Kansas State Legislature and how they were able to override our Democrat governor's veto on that issue. I know Florida's working on the same thing. Not the direction I wanted to go for the for the program with you, but I had to throw it out that it's a major national issue, and I'm glad we're finally starting to it. And it said we have to address it, but at least we are. It, it really is. And and that I mean, that's just one of so many issues that, that, that don't get enough 
talk about what's really the common sense around things and yeah. talking about, you know, how much federal government's really spending and how much growth of government and, and all of these things that kind of get uh, uh, propagandized or, or swept under the rug or, or misconstrued and misinformation. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, when you come in, I know we always love to talk about it and we kind of nerd out on this segment, but the fact that you're kind of at the head of the realm here with both the Ways and Means Committee, the Budget Committee, uh, we like to talk about finances on this program. Last week, you guys presented and passed a bill that would address the debt ceiling issue that's ongoing. Kevin McCarthy trying to talk with the Biden administration. That's not going very far right now. But at least you guys passed something. And I have, you know, it's a decent bill. I don't like the fact that we did raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion in this bill. But it shows that you guys are willing to work with Democrats who are not willing to work with Republicans on this issue right now. But how do you feel about it as it kind of came out? Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, President Biden and, and Chuck Schumer have been talking, you know, for months now in terms of saying, just raise the debt ceiling, make it a clean debt ceiling increase. Basically, what they want to do is just continue spending money. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem's not what our debt level is. The problem is that we're spending more money than is coming in. So, you know, President Biden said, you know, he, he'd had a meeting with, with Speaker McCarthy and said, you know, let's talk about where we're going forward. That was 89 days ago, mm-hmm. and he hasn't done a thing since then to address our debt problem. Yeah. You know, when we, when we look at where the federal, where federal government spending is this year, we're actually borrowing one out of every $5 that's being spent by the federal government. And that's just not sustainable. That's and so insane. until we get to the point where we're actually getting our overspending under control, we'll never be able to pay back the debt we have. Right. So that that was the piece of, that as we were focusing on this bill and, and passing it forward was we, we've dug such a big hole. And I, I say we, it's Congresses over the years have dug such a big hole uh, that we, we've it's, it's going to take longer than one year to dig out of it. And, and that was the point that we were looking at is, what's a common sense away? I mean, we know it's going to take some time, so let's extend the debt for a little bit longer. Let's start to put in some some rational limits on the growth of spending. We're, we're not even doing cuts. We're, we, what we've included in the bill was spend at the levels for fiscal year 22 for the next year. Now, that's just 18 months ago. So if we're in such bad shape that we can't spend at the same levels we were 18 <laughs> months ago, that's a pretty bad state for, for the United States. And and then also COVID's epidemic, the pandemic level is over with. Yep. So there's billions of dollars out there that's not been spent. So let's call that money back. Uh, let's take it off the books in terms of uh, money that's out there to spend and say, you know, let's let's focus on what do we need to do going forward. And and, and looking at some some regulatory reform, looking at common sense approaches to uh, things like if you're getting benefits, whether it's food stamps or, or other benefits, right. and you're able-bodied and you're childless, you should work. I mean, Americans are generous people. We want to help people, you know, give them a hand up to, to help them with that process. Uh, but but Americans do expect that there's some there's some responsibility on the part of the individual actually work as well again there's that radical position again there there's a lot of stuff to break down there so let's start off with the beginning of this as like you said first off we have a lot of covid money that was passed that we haven't a lot of which is weird they just passed a random here's a massive amount of money now we don't know what to do with it why we're not reappropriating that to actually take care of some of the debt and extend out that concern of the government shutting down a debt ceiling because we're what three and a half months unfunded right now for the state for the federal government until the end of the uh fiscal year in september uh well 
that's common sense. Again, why wouldn't we do something like that? How much money is sitting there right it now? It really is. And, and you know, there's by estimates, there's 50 to $60 billion. That's <laughs> not been given out to states, not been given out yeah. to businesses, not been given out through Paycheck Protection Program or some of the other good programs that were out there. Right. And, and so and how this came about was once we overcome the initial problem with COVID, and, and and President Trump's Operation Warp Speed developed the vaccine. We had the vaccine rolling out. President Biden came into office. He had to do something to say that, you know, an accomplishment for his first 100 days. So he passed this ARPA bill that was his first 100-day success and, and called it a COVID relief bill. And in reality, the COVID dynamic was already in the downward spiral yeah. and didn't need to do that. And, and so money out there that wasn't needed to be spent and that had the side effect though of causing all this inflation that yeah. we're suffering through right now. Uh, but the money's just uh, lingering out there and not been spent. So, yeah. you know, let's, let's pull that back in. Uh, if the, the emergency situation's over, yeah, we, we can always, uh, there's always things that we have to spend money on, right. but let's not, Let's not wastefully spend what we have. Well, yeah, let's find the priorities and what we need. That's the, supposed That's to be right. the budgetary process. Again, before we went to the Obama administration, we had the actual 12 appropriation bills. We actually had you know it set in stone to decide what we're going to fund, what we're not going to fund. And by the way, at that time, our debt was only 40% of our actual GDP. Now we're at 120% of our GDP, which means if we still stole every penny from man, woman, child, and business in the country right now, we would still not have enough money to pay all of our debt. We've never been in a situation like this before. While the Biden administration says, well, you guys have always just willy-nilly just raised the debt ceiling, we've never been at this level before. we got to do something a little bit different. It really is. I mean, the they the budget that we're operating under, the appropriations that we're operating under this year, borrows another $1.5 trillion. And President Biden's proposed budget for next year is to borrow another one point eight trillion dollars <laughs> with no end in sight and actually looking at over a 10 year period increasing our debt by 17 trillion dollars now they tried to mask on it. top they, of the 32 that on we're top on, of the right? 30 yeah. yeah 31 plus that we're at right now and they tried to mask it by saying well we're not borrowing 20 trillion so therefore we're saving three trillion dollars mm. I mean that that's the kind of games that the 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 counting process that they use uh, shows up in that. Are they doing the same thing when uh, this budget that you guys have says to increase government only by 1% every year now? Uh, as far as I'm aware, a lot of the social programs grow by 4 5 6% every year. So according to them, that's a 4% budget cut right there, and it, everybody's going to die in the streets. It really is. They make the wailing and gnashing of teeth that, uh, oh, it's a cut, it's a cut, when in reality it's a smaller increase <laughs> than they wanted. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if, if we have an increase in revenue because we have a good economy, we have strong uh, economic growth, we bring in more tax revenue when that happens. But if we spend more than we bring in, then it, it keeps us underwater. And that's the piece that we've got to rein in and make sure that that, that uh, spending gets knocked down to where uh, – ultimately where where our growth in revenue comes from. Yeah, amen to that. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes, 4th District here in the state of Kansas, my congressman in the Kansas area of South Central Kansas. Let's talk about those social programs for a second. If we get people back onto actually needing to do work requirements, go through training, actually apply like we used to prior to the COVID, back to the old norm, is that going to save us some money on some of the social programs that we're, we've been spending on over the last couple of years? Is that going to help out this process? It, it really will. I mean, going back to when... President Clinton was in office. 
he signed the welfare to work program, yeah. uh, which was the first step at being taken of saying able-bodied American citizens who are receiving hand ups from from their federal taxpayers uh, ought to go to work. Yeah. And 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 it's a it's a minimum amount. What was in the bill was uh, twenty hours a week. So it's not like it's a burdensome amount of of uh, impact on people. Sure. Over the years, though, since since President Clinton signed that into law. A lot of uh, exceptions have been allowed, and states have been allowed to waive, and and so uh, and and COVID made it even worse. Yeah. So a lot of those waivers are in effect, and in multiple states now, you don't have to lift a finger to go to work and get these uh, federal benefits from other taxpayers who are paying the money. Yeah, it is unfortunate. We got to take a break here in just a second. It is said when the Biden administration says that this bill, or Chuck Schumer is the one that said this one, that if this pa- this bill passes, that you guys proposed. It would cut money from working class and middle class Americans. Although I thought that middle class meant that we wouldn't have to need these certain programs, but yet it's going to cut money away from them uh, so that way they can't work and get their social programs all at the same time. Kind of a fascinating concept there, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, they'll make up any kind of propaganda spin or misinformation <laughs> in order to tax some common sense things. Yeah, well, and if we need the middle class to be getting social programs as much as they are with working, then we have a deeper issue right now with the fact that they can't even live on a middle class income any longer Again, goes back to the whole inflation and the spending from the federal government. We'll do some more of that when we come back. You've got to take a break. It's Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District here in Kansas. We'll talk about this bill. We'll also get into the budgetary process for next fiscal year. Maybe we're a little more confident going into next year. We'll see how that goes right around the corner. It's a Monday. It's the voice reason. We've got a lot to get to today to kick off a week. Let's carpe diem all over this place, baby. Stay right here. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Don't write it is. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show. Thank you. What's up? On a Monday. Greatest day of the entire week. Is that is that right, Congressman? Greatest day? Every day is a good day, right? Every day is a good day. Yeah. That's right. That's what it's about. So we've talked about this debt ceiling bill. Let's move forward a little bit to let's. however this ends up, which will be interesting to see by the end of this year. Again, we're unfunded by they say we could potentially shut down early to mid-june so we're about three three and a half months out that we have to figure out funding for but let's go to the next fiscal year obviously you're a big part of that as well writing working on the appropriations again we haven't had an appropriation 12 appropriations bills since before obama can we get it this year is that a possibility it's it's a possibility can happen there's a lot of moving parts uh, a lot of distraction with the the debt limit discussion that's going to happen. Uh, some of this stuff's going to be done in parallel. Yeah. Uh, and we, we now that now that the house has voted on the debt ceiling and, and and as part of that bill we said let's make the fiscal 2022 levels our baseline for 2024. So mm. the the federal budget that starts uh sept- or October 1. Sure. So now the appropriations committee is starting their work. So they're out looking at uh, the details to fit under that those parameters, those dollar spending levels. Sure. And so I think they'll they'll have, we'll probably be voting uh, if not late June and early July in the House on the appropriations for fiscal uh, 2024. And then it goes over to the Senate for them to vote on. 
that'll be about the time frame that we finish up with the the debt ceiling discussions. Okay. Based on what uh, Secretary Yellen and you know some of the the, the big uh, banks are estimating when the extraordinary measures will run out. So I was going to ask you, what are the, she keeps saying they're using extraordinary measures to keep paying. What are those extraordinary measures? So, Do we so, know? So it's it's all at the secretary's discretion okay. of what happens. So basically, instead of issuing new debt to pay our bills, what she's doing is taking the cash that comes in, paying the outgoing obligations, whether it's paying interest on a on a on a note or whether it's paying off Social Security or other things. Sure. But she's not doing things like depositing money into the federal retirement system mm. or not uh, issuing on behalf of states uh, new debt yeah. that the states could then utilize for some of their programs. So uh, it, it is they, they call it extraordinary measures, but but basically it means uh, just juggling around without creating Real new debt. Almost like a family budget. You actually have to just move money around a little bit to make sure to pay the debts here, which is not a bad thing. Is it true that even if we don't end up passing a bill, is it true even if we shut down the government or whatever that we would not default on debts because that would be the number one priority with whatever tax revenue comes in? So the the issue is right now is we we have enough revenue coming in to pay 80% of our current spending. So we could continue to pay that 80% of it. Problem is, we're borrowing that other thing. That goes back to one out of five dollars that are being spent is yeah. borrowed. So you could easily prioritize. In fact, that's exactly what the secretary is doing right now. Is, is she is prioritizing the bills she is paying and and not making some payments yeah. or deposits into the retirement account or other things uh, that that she could do because of that that extra one out of five dollars that they're not issuing new debt for. That almost seems like, and we're, we're almost out of it, we got like 30 seconds here, that almost seems like that's where the politics comes into play, because if we're only needing to borrow 20% to cover d- bills that go out on a monthly basis, and if something like this happens, it's at the discretion of the Treasury Department to decide what's not getting paid out, which falls into the politics of how bad do we want the consumer to get hit for them to see the impact of what you guys are not doing. And that really does get into the propaganda or misinformation standpoint, and mm. and wh- whether it's Schumer or Biden or, or the Secretary, it, it, in any case, they talk about how bad it would be. Yeah. Uh, and and the Republicans don't want to don't want to default on our debt. I mean, we want to pay our obligations, but we need to have the revenue to pay off there. our spending. And almost like the government shutdowns when Obama's like, we're going to shut down the tourism in D.C. because of the government. Come on, man. Yeah, that's what it is. Congressman, we're out of time, my friend. Keep up the fight. Your 90, 97% uh, CPAC rating is amazing. Thank you for what you do. We'll get you back on here again soon. Excellent. Great. Thank you. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right, we'll take a break. Scott Powell, right around the corner, we'll talk about corruption in the government. Right around the corner. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the program. Man, flying right on through the program today. Thanks again to Congressman Ron Estes, great personal friend, my congressman here in the 4th District of Kansas. Swinging in studio. He does that every bit to give us an update on what's going on in Washington, D.C. And I tell you what, the battle is difficult. I, As I mentioned throughout last week, I am... Frustrated a little bit with the bill that came out of the House based on raising the debt again, another one and a half trillion dollars. At the same time, it is a great, fantastic political move for them to show how they're willing to work and compromise with Democrats who are unwilling to sit down and do anything 
with the other side of the aisle. So uh, politically, it makes us look really good. Um, Hardliner-wise, uh, we're still raising the debt, which frustrates me a little bit. But it's still, I guess if we have to have a starting point, that's a starting point that we have to have. So kind of stuck in the middle on that one. All right, welcome into the program. I want to shift gears a little bit. Overall, are we doing well as a nation? Are we where we're supposed to be constitutionally? Are we where we're supposed to be with our limited government, private sector, capitalist, laissez-faire, free market society? Are we where we're supposed to be? at this point in time and when we call out the government on things on their actions on what they're doing we get labeled as either the nuts or we get labeled as the radicals or even as the conspiracy theorists but is that true now and is it starting to go more mainstream as we do the latest in what's trending for the day what's trending today as i'm happy to have back on the program a great guest we've had him on many times before as well his book is rediscovering america you can check him out with all his latest pieces no longer conspiracy theory time for action government betrayal of the constitution happy to have back on the program mr scott powell scott how are you my friend it's great to be with you yeah yeah great to have you back on the show so the time for action the government usurping their power just a little bit. How far away are we right now compared to what the intention was when we created this form of government all the way back then? We actually created a constitution. How far have we come all this time? Oh, we have come a long, long way. I mean, we're not only seeing the violation of a <clears throat> wholesale of our First Amendment, but the uh, violation of the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth, the Sixth Amendments to the Constitution. Uh, and Really, government is just out of control with its spending, and we have seen the debt growing at a <clears throat> at about an eight and a half percent annual growth rate over the last twenty years. Um, and meanwhile, our economy is is uh, lucky to have a two and a half percent growth rate. So, as you, if you were to graph those two two lines, two and a half percent growth versus eight percent, guess what happens? Yeah. As the, the longer you go out, the wider and wider the space between those two lines is, and that represents the deficit. And the aggregate debt now is nearly $32 trillion, whereas back at the end of 2008, the end of the Bush administration, uh, the national debt was about $8.5 trillion. So it's almost quadrupled in literally just 15 years. That that's just that that's unbelievable, actually. Yeah. If you want to know the truth, it's a scary and, thought. Now, you know, the Biden administration just says like this debt ceiling issue. We just need to willy nilly raise it. We've always done that. We've never balked at it. Never pushed back. So I don't know why you guys are giving me issues now. It's all political game. We've never been in a situation where we have a hundred and twenty percent debt ratio over our GDP and our income as a nation. Uh, that's massive, and that's a cause for concern. I think. And well, that that's actually uh, um, only a partial analysis. That that ratio is basically on the um, that that 120 percent ratio. It reflects just the bondholders that are um, actually we have to pay interest to, whereas the other bondholders are you know the the funds within the United States. Social Security has you know ha- has. Uh, Debt instruments, you know, IOUs placed in it in the form of government bonds. But we don't count those, you see. Uh, We just, when we in fact know that Social Security and Medicare are also going broke. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's just just the same old shell game that they play on us. 
and we aren't told the truth about the problems that our country faces. I mean, let's just look at one area alone. Let's look at the southern border of the United States. We have seen the influx of about five, um, five million new people. And they aren't just from Latin America. They're from, from all over the world. We have Chinese people getting into our country now. Ch- China represents our number one enemy. Why, are Ch- why, are, why is our border, why are we allowing all these people to, to come in to the country? This is all the Biden administration's doing. Yeah. You know, we had a fairly secure border at the end of the Trump administration. wasn't perfect, but we were getting there. We almost completed the wall. But we have a we we basically have a government against the people right now, and if you really look at all of the policies that they're pursuing, you you one can conclude that the government does not care about the American people. It's not responsive to the American people. It's not taking care of their needs. It is subverting our country to a new global order. Sure. And, and you know, it's hard for us to fathom that. But you have to look at the evidence and then make your own conclusions. What's the end goal? Obviously, with this globalization that we're seeing, obviously, with the open borders, the attack on the First Amendment, the attack on the Second Amendment, all down the road that, like you mentioned earlier, on the rights that we're losing as American citizens. What is the end goal? Is it for them to have full control, centralized power at the federal level and to get rid of a concept called federalism where the states actually have rights? Is it the federal level or is it, like you said, moving on up to the global government and the global powers to take control of the nation and completely just dismantle and erase the Constitution as if it never happened? It, it would appear that it's, we're really being set up for a global, a new, a new world order. Uh, and, I mean, this has been in the works for many, many years. It's gotten a lot of publicity because of the World Economic Forum and their crazy agenda. I mean, that gets people's attention. I mean, most people said, no, that's, you know, eat bugs, no way. You know, uh, <laughs> you know, all that they represent is almost uh, laughable, and yet, and yet their policies have been adopted by various countries, and, and the countries that have adopted these policies are in deep trouble. I mean, they've had a revolution in Sri Lanka. You have a revolution going on with the farmers in Holland. Uh, you, you have a, a collapse of the... New Zealand government, uh, the former prime minister of New Zealand was a young leaders forum graduate of the, of the World Economic Forum. We have problems in Australia um, and to our north, Canada. Justin Trudeau is, is sort of the exemplary graduate of uh, the, the World Economic Forum's uh, young leaders program. And Klaus Schwab has said, uh, had said on several occasions, that he takes great pride in infiltrating half of Trudeau's uh, uh, cabinet. Mm-hmm. He, he views half the cabinet as being loyal <laughs> to to the World Economic Forum agenda and not loyal to Canada. And look what look at the direction that Canada is going. I mean, it's it's uh, it's and not it's the country it was, was ten years ago. Yeah, that is very true. Well, and now we see, obviously, OPEC, let's take for an example, coming out of Europe with oil and energy. We see them halting a lot of their production or slowing down a lot of their production. Gas prices across the nation right now are three and a half bucks as an average. 
on the off season. I can't imagine what it's going to look like when we get to actually Memorial Weekend in a few weeks and go into the summer season where people want to travel and actually go on vacation and do stuff. And that's all based on this global market where they've chosen how much production is going to be worldwide and how much each country gets. This is only the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Right. And remember that in the Trump years, you know, Trump really wanted to wean America away from all these international relationships that were sort of screwing us. And one of the things he did was he he said uh, bye-bye to the Paris Climate Accord, and uh, thus he had no, you know, there was no, no obligation to meet any of their goals, and he recognized that we are an oil and gas rich country, and that we ought to develop oil and gas. And oil and gas are the most reliable and cheapest sources of energy in the world at this particular time. And so, and of course, it's all, all that we have, all our resources are created by God, and they're created by God for the benefit of man. So I don't, I don't buy into, you you know, the the elitists wanting to um, sort of change things around to their agenda, and almost always their agenda is for more power and more money at the expense of whom? The people. So, so oil, oil and gas, you know, we're blessed with it. You know, our whole military relies on it for the most part, except perhaps the Navy, which has largely a nuclear fleet. But every other part of our military, from our Air Force to our ground troops, require a lot of oil and gas. And uh, primarily, you know, gas and diesel, gasoline and diesel. And, you know, we're jeopardizing our security by not developing, not bringing up more oil and gas uh, to become independent. I mean, China cannot support itself, does not have enough oil and gas within within its borders and offshore, whereas we have an enormous surplus. Our country could be the strongest country in the world if only we had good and courageous leadership and we don't have that now unfortunately yeah it's sad and it's very scary scott we got to take a hard break can you stick over one more segment with us i sure will awesome yes. i love it because it's a great conversation and uh, now that we've laid out some of those issues the question is like your piece is no longer conspiracy theory it's time for action what is that action what can we do to actually fix a lot of these issues as the government continues to ignore their oath of office ignore the constitution ignore those limitations on power keeping that power in the private market and letting us do our own damn thing that doesn't seem to be what their priority is so we'll do that when we come back how we can actually take action and make these changes and be aware of some of these issues that i'm sure a lot of people don't even know about until it's kind of a day late and a dollar short and that's a bit concerning we'll do that with scott powell right around the corner for a monday here on the voice reason stay here this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier for freedom every day the voice of reason with andy hoosier holy cow man the show flew right on by today one of the fastest hours of radio on well radio multiple radio stations all over the place plus our tv feed live streaming podcasting however you check us out we love you to death always appreciate you very much we hit another milestone by the way for april on podcast downloads all over the country texas you guys are killing it california you guys are rocking it thank you guys so much for 
listening to the show. I love watching on a monthly basis, see kind of where we're seeing downloads. We're still at the top of Listen Notes, I believe, is the website. Top 10% of all podcast downloads on that site. So thank you guys for that. Uh, also, new radio affiliates jumping on here soon as well. More information on that coming here relatively soon. A lot of great projects we got going on for 2023, and we can't do it without you and your support. So thank you very, very much. Right now, we're hanging out with Scott Powell, author of the book Rediscovering America, how the national holidays tell an amazing story about who we are. Also, his latest piece, No Longer Conspiracy Theory, Time for Action, Government Betrayal of the Constitution, which I've tried to say for years, the betrayal began when we allowed a fourth branch of government, a.k.a. the administrative bureaucratic agencies that are unelected and continue to write legislation with Congress focusing more time on re-elections than they are actually about writing bills. I think that's where a lot of this got started. So now the question is, Scott, it's time for action. What is that action? What can we do to slow some of the shenanigans down? Well, I think that the uh, the, the Democrat Party has established a, a pretty good precedent for us. They have hauled the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, into the, a court in New York. The, the Not even the New York district attorney, but the Manhattan district attorney, mm. uh, Alan Bragg, has decided that that uh, all these charges that have been dropped by other courts, uh, he's going to make an issue of. And, of course, this is not about anything other than hurting Donald Trump's uh, candidacy for president in 2024. In any case, that was consummated. Uh, Trump uh, went to New York, actually turned himself in for arraignment rather than having a perp walk issue, which, which is probably what the Democrats thought he'd do. He might resist coming. No, he, he preempted that. And said, "Yeah, here I am. Uh, give, let me know what 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 you need. Here, you know, give me the charges, and yeah. uh, I'll see you in court." Well, of course, it's not going anywhere, but <clears throat> that established a precedent. So, I think it's high time that various district attorneys from states, state district attorneys like Paxton in New York, uh, arraign. Uh, Homeland Security, he could start with arraigning Homeland Security, uh, the director of Homeland Security, Mayorkas, for, you know, for failing to protect Americans. Yeah. I mean, that's been an open border with the influx uh, of nearly 5 million illegal people entering the United States, putting a burden on our school systems, on our health care system, to say nothing of the increased crime that we have seen as a result of this. Yeah. Let's haul him into court. Let's arraign him for the failure to to uphold and 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 keep his oath of office, which is to protect the United States, to protect the American people. Yeah, that's what it's about. That's, that's what his oath of office was. Well, and that's why people right? love Donald Trump well, is because he fought for that, regardless of the inside politics, regardless of the establishment. He was the guy that went in, exposed a lot of stuff, overturned yeah. a lot of the tables, and even people that didn't necessarily like his politics respected what he was doing to the quote-unquote system that I think is desperately needed. Oh, I agree. I really agree. So I think it's, it's time for action, as I said in that, in that uh, op-ed piece. Uh, you know, um, we, we write about it, we think about it, we talk about it. Um, well, there comes a point where it's time for action, and I think we're at that point because I don't know that our country can really hold it together for uh, until the 2024 election without some kind of corrective, because we have been on the defensive and we shouldn't be on the defensive. 
We are the patriots who believe in the Constitution of the United States. We believe in law and order. We b- believe in the, in the values that have made this country great. We believe in protecting children, the innocence of children. Uh, we believe that the family is the primary, has the primary authority in the child's life. And we can keep going down the list of what we believe and what we stand for, which are basically values that 20, 30 years ago and all before, all the years before, those values were shared by everybody in the country. And this woke revolution has, has basically introduced these new values. And it's very sad that family breakdown has resulted in parents not really raising their kids very well and the school systems have failed to yeah. it's really failed as well so here here we are and it's, um, it's deteriorated a, pretty with, quickly with a country that's much weaker than it was yeah it's deteriorated pretty quickly once that pandora's box got open scott right of time my friend yeah. i love it it is the book rediscovering america we appreciate the time very very much my friend let's get you back on here again real soon I look forward to it. I really do. Always a pleasure. We'll do it again then. Until then, tomorrow's a Tuesday. We'll see you then on the radio.